Hey, everyone. Oh, are you going to love this episode today? It's another one of those episodes that makes you think about scents, about smelling, about the status quo. You know, questioning why things are the way they are. I asked my guest today to come on because I admire her deeply. Many of you already know her, but if you're one of those who doesn't, you're going to be a fan after this, I promise you. Let me introduce you to my guest, Saskia Wilson-Brown. Saskia is the director and founder of the Institute for Art and Olfaction, affectionately known as the IAO. And after receiving an MA in Fine Art from Central St. Martins, she co-directed the Silver Lake Film Festival and ran international filmmaker outreach at Al Gore's Current TV while producing initiatives around new models in the arts. In 2012, her interest in multivalent practices led her to create the Institute for Art and Olfaction, an artist-led nonprofit devoted to access and experimentation in perfumery. Through the IAO, she has launched projects with institutions such as the Pulitzer Foundation, Getty Institute, Hammer Museum, Wallace Collection, New Mexico Highlands University, and many more. In 2013, she launched the Art and Olfaction Awards, an international awards mechanism for independent practices with scent. And in 2018, she launched Open Sourcing Smell Culture, an initiative devoted to open source principles and perfumery. In 2019 and early 2020, she served as a visiting lecturer at the Royal College of Art in London before COVID called her home to successfully transition the IAO to online programming. In addition to overseeing the IAO, her current projects include a radio show and podcast called Perfume on the Radio for Outlook FM in Los Angeles and pursuing a PhD exploring the historic and contemporary relationship between perfume, access, and power at University College London. Needless to say, she's incredibly accomplished and she has some thoughts. And so do I. So we sat down and discussed. We talk about all kinds of things, including what do people get wrong about the sense of smell? What potential do we see in this beautiful sense? Is smelling, and scent for that matter, a human right? And why is perfume more than just the liquid in a bottle? You know, thoughts. Oh, and we also talk about her amazing Institute for Art and Olfaction, which, if you don't know it already, I highly recommend you check out. So let's get started. Enjoy my conversation with Saskia Wilson-Brown. This is An Aromatic Life, the podcast that aims to shed light on our beautiful sense of smell and increase its profile in a culture dominated by sight and sound. My name is Frau Kagalia. I'm a certified aromatherapist and smell coach who spent over 20 years in and around the fragrance industry. What I know for sure after all these years is that our sense of smell is powerful, yet is so underappreciated. There's so much we can do to harness our sense of smell to be well. So join me as I explore this mesmerizing sense from all different angles and learn what it can do for you. Enjoy the show. Oh, Saskia, I want to welcome you to An Aromatic Life. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's a super pleasure. Thank you for having me, Froke. Yeah, I think we're going to have a really good conversation because I uh, I love all the work that you're doing. I've always been an admirer of your work and we're going to get into all things art and olfaction at the end. But um, I kind of wanted to just start by having people get to know you a little bit better. And, you know, this is a podcast about our sense of smell. So I thought it'd be really fun just to get your perspective on this 
beautiful sense. <laughs> That's really complicated. Yeah. I mean, smell is more than perfumery, right? So exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that there's anything I can add that hasn't been said, but you know, the sense of smell is one of those things that gives pleasure to life. Um, it's, it's a factor for intimacy. It's a factor for knowledge. It's a factor in well, smelling is, you know, human, human behavior. So it's a factor in everything that humans do in yeah. history, uh, you know, in, in culture. So, yeah, I mean, I find it incredibly important, but of course I work with it. So I don't know if sometimes I wonder if, if it's just that important to me because um, you know, to, to a worm in horseradish, the world is horseradish, you know, um, <laughs> it's so true. maybe I'm like, it's really important because everybody I talk to is always about smell almost, you know? So, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think objectively it's, it's, uh, it's something that we all should pay attention to more. Well, it's funny that you say that because I don't know. Yeah. We, you and I are both involved in, in the smelling world have been for a long time. And, but I do, you know, when I get together with friends around me who aren't thinking about their sense of smell all the time, it does make you pause to say, actually, most people aren't thinking about it, right? Totally. Yeah. I, think I, I, I guess most people aren't, or when they are, it's mostly in the context of, I mean, the one thing about, you know, I teach a lot and everyone's like always asking, well, you know, what, <laughs> you know, what is it that people like? And I'm like, well, what people like, who the hell knows? But what people <laughs> dislike is all pretty consistent. So, okay. you know, the the con the 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 disgust factor in smell, yeah, is the one thing I think we all really do share. You know, maybe yeah. I like jasmine, maybe you like rose, maybe maybe we, you know, I don't like cassis, but you do. You know that that yeah. stuff's all you know taste and and the culture and whatever. There's all stuff sorts of stuff factoring into that, but disgust disgust is something we all share. So, so that's, you know, extrapolating to your question a little bit, like in terms of what, how people interact with smell generally tends to be uh, either, oh, that smells really nice or mm, that smells delicious or ew, that is gross, you know? And, and I like that. I like that disgust part that, that I find that interesting because oftentimes we don't, we don't want to think about the disgust factor, but it's, it's real, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's the messy part of our life. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's something we all share, you know, we all <laughs> find dead bodies, you know, um, poo, things like that unpleasant to smell. So I think that's really interesting. You know, what's interesting is, um, I, I talk a lot with the congenital anosmics, those that mm -hmm. have never known smell. And I always find their perspective interesting because it helps me gauge how much we smellers really think about smelling and they'll consistently say the thing that we smellers always say is ew that smells bad like we are so focused on the negative mm -hmm. so i thought that was interesting too that you know that kind of confirms what you've been saying that they're all talking about disgust and yeah, that's what they yeah. see too as people well, we, we, we do have it in common <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting to know that 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 crosses uh, over to people who can't smell that's interesting to me yeah yeah so what do you think people get wrong about the sense of smell um gosh i mean let me think about that what do they get wrong about it uh you mean you know you mean like quote the general public or yeah, just anybody yeah. that you that you come across or as you're doing, you know, because you, you're doing a lot of research now too for your. Yeah, PhD. well, I mean, I think we, we what, something we often get wrong is is scent associations and, and not to get heavy super fast, but I mean, you know, 
and, and you know, I'm not an expert on this. There's people who have, for instance, Sean Shu wrote an amazing book uh, about this, but the mm -hmm. idea of sort of othering and certain smells being um, factors in that practice of othering people. Yes. That's something that humans get wrong in general. You know, the idea that, you know, so-and-so group of people smells bad because, because they're somehow inferior to us, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think one of the really amazing things about learning about the smell or engaging or, you know, going deep in the, with smell is that you start to question this idea of something smelling quote bad, you know, what yeah. is bad? I mean, you, <laughs> It's I mean, true. it's a disgust factor for sure, which is, you know, it kind of incontrovertible. You feel it, you feel it, you know, but beyond that, I mean, what are these moralistic judgments we're putting on things through smell? Why, why is, why, oh, what's an example I can think of? I can't even think of an example, but why does something smell bad to us? And, and, and when you start to get into working with smell and then you start to become interested in even quote bad smells, that starts to fall apart a little bit because yeah. everything becomes curious. You become curious about you know, things that other people might say smell bad. So yeah, yeah. I think in that sense, I think what we get wrong sort of to summarize is assigning moral value to different smells. Um, and, and certain things smell bad because, you know, our, our particular way of being raised, you know, had it that we had some sort of, I don't know, olfactory xenophobia, you know, yeah. I don't know how else to describe it. You know? No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It's so, so true. Yeah, I find that interesting. <laughs> and then I guess the other aspect of it is I wanted to ask you is kind of what potential do you see for for smelling and our sense of smell? Like, I feel like we're just in our infancy and in exploring this, the sense and, and people engaging with it more. I think it's starting to bubble up and, and grow a little bit more. Certainly COVID, yeah, you know, kind sure. of brought that to light more is when people lost their sense of smell and They've now regained it. Most people, a lot of people haven't, but um, I, I feel like there's this potential that we have to, to interact with this sense a lot more. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. And I think we are. And I, I mean, just look at the, I mean, if you want to just take a simple arbiter of that, I mean, perfume releases, you know, they're, they're yeah. growing there. It's crazy. It's crazy how it much is perfume crazy. is being produced, you know? So, so right there, that's an indicator that there's a, an interest in a market, you know, mm -hmm. but you know, I, the, the thing, I mean, people often say like, oh, scent is an underappreciated sense and, you know, blah, blah. But, but if you look historically, you know, you know, what, what how we um, express culture right now, you know, in our particular set of circumstances, mm -hmm. In, in that context, maybe it has been unappreciated, you know, but historically it really hasn't, you know, I mean, people have been engaging with this sense quite deeply for millennia, you know, I mean, millennia across A lot cultures. more than today. I guess it's underappreciated today is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, no, no. Sanitized I, I, it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. And, and, and I think that's exactly it. We have sanitized it, right. This sort of idea of, you know, the enlightened man or, or person, you know, is yes. a person that is all cerebral, not physical. So that's a cultural structure in which we are, you know, operating, but, but that's, that's the aberration, you know, the norm is actually from a humanity's perspective, the norm is actually quite engaged with smell. So, so I think maybe what we're doing is we're just renormalizing. You know? <laughs> exactly. We're getting it, trying to get back up to, to zero really. Yeah. And you know, you know, this more than anyone, you know, as, as I do. So. <laughs> All right, I want to take a step back. Can we take a step back into the get to know Saskia a little bit better? Sure. <laughs> I think a lot of people know you. Um, there's still plenty of people who I'm excited will get to know you um, in this podcast. And I want to kind of 
just briefly, you don't have to give me your life life story, but can you give me a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about where, like where you were born and what are some of the key pieces that led you to, to doing what you do today? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, my, uh, I was born in San Francisco. My parents oh. are both um, left-wing bohemians, you know, my dad's, <laughs> my dad was quite a bit younger than my mom. And I think she basically chewed him up and spat him out, you know, uh, <laughs> he's Cuban uh, and she, she's British. So, I mean, it, it's always, I always, I always find it interesting to sort of think about cultural dynamics as well, because yeah. she comes from a very you know, upper middle class family, and there's all sorts of ingrained snobberies in there. And my dad's, you know, a Cuban, you know, so there's an egalitarianness to, to, to the Cuban, um, at least how it's been expressed, you know, in the last 50 years since the revolution. So yeah, anyway, um, both super bohemian, super artsy, uh, they broke up before I can even remember, but we're great, great friends growing up. And ah. my mom took mainly most of the care of my, of my upbringing. She, she had me um, in the French school system in, in California, you know, and then, and then also sent me to France a lot. Um, yeah, but so, so culturally I was exposed to a lot, you know, growing up Cuba, obviously, and then England through my mom and France and mom traveled with me when I was a baby, we went to Indonesia for a while and she just, she really values travel. And so does my dad, actually. They both love work that. In, yeah. in the travel industry now. Yeah, yeah, totally. And they're both very, 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 very left-wing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> sort of, despite my mom's ingrained snobbery, there's a sort of allergy to, to snobbery that she expresses, you know, that uh -huh. she totally internalizes is this weird thing, you know, but uh -huh. yeah. And then my dad's super egalitarian. So those were the main sort of cultural influences. Well, did you go to, so you said you went to Cuba when you were little. Do you, can you think of some yeah. of the well, I first experienced? I first went actually when I was about seven or maybe maybe nine actually with my grandmother who hadn't been back since since the the family left you know um, okay yeah and so my first impressions of Cuba as far as I remember one there was this it was during the special period so there was extreme poverty you know mm. so I definitely have visual memories of people just being very gaunt you know um, yeah. really and, and there's a way that Cubans carry their bodies it's a sort of relaxed angularity you know which. Ah. But then in terms of smells, I mean, you know, people like to idealize places like Cuba, like, oh, you know, mojitos and cigar smoke. And yeah, whatever. yeah. The reality of a place like Cuba is it smells mostly like diesel exhaust, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, it's an inc incredibly, the cars are old, so people are just maintaining them best they can. So there's just this constant smell of diesel exhaust uh, on, on the air and then of course it's near the ocean so there's this sort of salty briny note to it but mm -hmm. my scent memories of Cuba are car exhaust and diesel fumes you know okay, okay. which I actually really like <laughs> well yeah I mean you have you have a nice association with with that place so mm -hmm. that's good totally. and, and then so so you were did did your did you think about smelling when you were little it's just something you did I imagine it's not like you you were an active smeller back in when you were little, were you? Well, I mean, it starts to kind of, my, my relationship to smelling starts to sort of become complex when, when uh, I, I was sent to France for, for my education a couple of times over the course of my youth. But uh, in ninth grade, I, I went there for a year in Paris. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it was just kind of in the, in the time of the supermodels, you know? Ah. And so, and, and so my mom is a super, you know, she doesn't relate to femininity in the same way that, you know, let's say the supermodels uh, showed. <laughs> so, so my idea of femininity was really, you know, you're tough and you just get things done. And yeah. there's, there's very little room for vanity uh, and, and perfuming oneself was just not 
a factor, you know, it was, ah, yeah, it was almost, I would almost say that my mom maybe would have considered it sort of, I don't know, uncool, you know, it, yeah, it just yeah. wasn't like one didn't engage with that sort of vanity, you know? So anyway, when I got to Paris, when I was um, about 13, that that's when I, I started to really think about perfume or smell in general, because, and it was visual, you know, I was confronted with these beautiful advertisements with, you know, Linda Evangelista, yeah. you remember that era. <laughs> oh, you know? I totally remember it. Yeah. It was yeah. so, I mean, it was All just supermodels. Yeah. yeah. It blew my mind and a lot of them were perfume ads. So I started actually drawing, I found recently an old sketchbook from when I was 12 Ooh. or 13 and I started drawing perfume bottles and and I would make perfume ads, you know, but it was more about the visuals than the smells. To me, the smells all smelled just like this mysterious feminine femininity. It just, I just could not relate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But in France, they have also a pretty, um, also in Cuba, actually, they have a healthy culture of scenting children. So I, I do remember my first perfume was a perfume called uh, Tartine Chocolat, which is, is like a little perfume that they give kids. Um it's like chocolate. It's very, well, you would think, right? But it's actually sort of a citrusy. It's oh. like a light citrusy affair, you know. How funny, yeah. I know. I don't know why they named it that. <laughs> I like that. I'm totally expecting, you know. Yeah, don't know. And it's funny because actually, cake. I always remember it as being chocolatey, uh, sort of bready. But actually, I went to smell it. I still have the bottle I got when I was a kid. Nice. I went I to it. smell it recently. I was like, whoa, this is absolutely a light, a light, easy citrus, you know. Yeah. At least, at least the first impressions. So excellent. I love yeah. it. So those are my first sort of smell uh, memories really are associated with, with, with conceptions of femininity. Yeah. 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 And then, so tell me when you went into like, after you, you know, went through schooling and stuff, where did you, where did you end up first with your job? Cause you, you were doing something completely different before yeah, yeah, you got yeah, into yeah. the world of scent. Yeah, I mean, I got a master's and I mean, I got a BA and an MA in, in art, you know, um, practice as an artist or whatever uh, in Berkeley and then in London. And mm -hmm. so after after my MA, I actually came back to LA just to visit my dad, you know, mm -hmm. um, for a little holiday. I was living in London and I just didn't go back. You know, I was just <laughs> like, I remember it was like 5 a.m. because I had jet lag and I was sitting at this cafe on Sunset Boulevard and it was sunny and it was January, you know, it yeah. was sunny and the birds were singing and people were like saying hi and everyone was so friendly. And then back home in London, it was cold and foggy and I was <laughs> miserable and I was, you know, I was an outsider. So I just, I couldn't get good job. I just felt like an outsider, you know, even though I'm half British, you know, so I was just like, yeah. why in the world would I go back to that nonsense, you know, so I yeah, stayed in LA. And uh, I got a job working in uh, in the film industry and production design for for a, a good friend of mine, dad's actually Marcos, who's become a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And I was doing set set work, you know, like um, picking up props. And I ended up doing a couple jobs as a production designer uh, for one for Master P, who was like a big hip hop. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, guy back then. And I love then, it. <laughs> yeah, but I did a lot of set assistant work for. Um, you know, Marilyn Manson, Madonna, you name it, like some big names or whatever. Nice. But so I really enjoyed that. But the hours were insane. You know, it's like imagine. 4 a.m. Yeah. call times. And yeah, so I kind of meandered a bit. And so then I was like, this freelance stuff is for the birds. <laughs> I started working for film festivals. You know, uh, actually, oh. I, I, I was the co-director of a film festival for a number of years, which is um, which was a lot of fun, but left me in quite a bit of debt. Mm. So I was actually uh, in Park City at 
Slam Dance Film Festival, who I programmed for and who are great friends of mine. And I met this one, this woman randomly, this woman, Aline. And she, I don't know, she took a shine to me and she offered me a job at Current TV, uh, where I worked for about three or four or five, yeah, I think five years total, but only three full time and then two kind of permanent lance. Um, and then at Current, you know, like TV jobs, they tend to be relatively short-lived and they're pretty high stress um but <laughs> but but like yeah. yeah but the but the network was really based on this idea of sort of democratizing the media which I was already really interested in you know this idea of egalitarianism and everyone has should have equal access and equal rights within creative output you know so um I ended up getting very deep in sort of the DIY distribution movement and and piracy p2p like piracy platforms and doing a lot of consulting uh -huh. work and with various friends and then that interest of, of sort of how do we level this playing field for for media for film filmmakers and whatever yeah how, how do we apply this to smell to perfumery that's what got me into perfumery was was that idea of of um the human right to have access to creative you know to means of creativity wait wait, wait. so tell me how that so you were working at current when you started thinking about this yeah, yeah. A good friend of mine, actually, David Casey, gave me a book by uh, by Chandler Burr, uh, the the Emperor of Scent. Oh yeah, about, yeah, yeah. About Luca yeah. Turin, who's since become a, a pretty good friend of mine. But um, yeah, so Chandler's book, I read it, and I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what is this bizarre industry? You know. And bear in mind, you know, Frauke, you know, within all this, I'm, you know, I'm an artist. You know, that's that's who I, I that's who I am. You know, yeah. that's who I will be and remain. Remain. that's the core so, of you yes that's yes. the core of me you know so so there's always this idea also of like well how can you apply this creatively you know how can you so there's the social justice aspect of it or the the sort of righteousness the pompousness you know the the stuff that people roll their eyes at you know but then there's also you know a simple curiosity for for me of like well what can you do with this that's not perfume you know um so so it was a couple of things combining but that book really exposed me to how well, you know, Chandler's uh, amazing version of how the industry works and through the lens of Luca, who is, you know, a, <laughs> yeah, a, an amazing, brilliant um, skeptic, you know, I mean, he is yeah. at the core, a skeptical person. And that just, I, I like that, you know, I really, it appealed to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Makes total sense. I mean, you actually say smell is a human right. I do. Yeah. Well, working, well, my little, my little line is this, <laughs> I repeat it so much that I feel like I'm, I feel stupid when I say it, but you know, no. if, if creativity is a human right, and if working with scent is a creative process, then it would follow that working with scent is, is a human right. So it's, it's very simple, you know, um, but we, we have a right to, to express ourselves creatively. I think, you know, I believe I totally it's sort of agree. a, yeah. yeah, it's a fundamental aspect of who we are, you know, talking, interacting with people, expressing ourselves creatively. It's, it's just, it's the core of humanity, you know? So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so if everyone's going around saying perfumes and art, perfumes and art, well, then why the heck are we stopping? Why the heck are we setting up structures that, that stop people from engaging in this quote art? You know, it's ridiculous to me. So, yep. and I understand it's complicated, but that, that's sort of the core, the core tenet of what led me to, to engage with perfume was that belief, you know, and it remains my core my core belief right now you know no me. I think it's I think it's it's spot on um as you know I was in the fragrance industry for yes, a while and so I, I saw it from the inside and um I think it's it's one of the things 
as it relates to just smelling in general. One of the things that I always found so, I don't know, tough or interesting, if you will, when you're on the inside is that <laughs> there's this feeling like if you smell something, you might get it wrong. That what oh, you smell might be wrong. There's such a, like a, I don't know, maybe some people in the industry don't feel that way, but I think that a lot of us did, you know, you're kind of like, okay, only the Self-doubt. perfumer knows what's right. Yeah. And everybody else, if you, you know, if I meant, if I said, oh, this smells like this or that to me, I would be nervous to say it because yeah. like, what if, what if I said it wrong? Like this idea that there even is something that's right or wrong <laughs> with totally. smelling. It's so funny. I mean, I was just, I was just talking, I was just teaching yesterday and I was saying that exact thing. Like, like, like smelling is like a fundamental aspect of our person, of our personhood, you know, yes. how could you possibly get it wrong? You know, I mean, but I mean, that's, but that's, that's like, that's like humans in society. Like we're afraid of making asses, I'm sorry, fools out of ourselves, you know? So you I mean, that. I do it, you know, I'll say things and I'm like, oh gosh, did I say, you know, did, are people going to judge me? Be like, Saskia doesn't know what the hell she's talking about, you know? And, and, and in that fairness, in the back of our mind, it's like, well, it's because like... in fairness, bracket, people do judge, you know, people oh, do jump true. down each other's throats, especially in perfume. There's so much on Line, like well so-and-so is not a real perfumer because blah blah you know yeah what does that even mean that drives oh me i don't nuts. So silly, but it but, but it happens whatever. you're absolutely right it, and it happens a lot yeah it does you know so i mean it's normal that we feel a little apprehensive but uh, yeah but but i mean you know i don't know i mean i get things wrong all the time you know what i mean like it's just normal, you know, like, yeah. and, and also what is wrong, you know, I mean, I get things that are, that make sense to me, but that don't make sense to anybody else. And that's cool. You know, I mean, I, I actually embrace people who will say what they, what they actually feel about a scent. And I'll be like, that's so interesting. Like to me, it's an opportunity to see another perspective. Yeah. Like, another why facet. does that person, where do they get that that aspect of that scent from that's so interesting let me smell it again and okay I can't see that but yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent I totally agree with you but it's like telling someone like someone looks at a a gray box like I'm looking at a gray box here on my on my desk of a perfume you know a package and I see a gray box with a little golden crest on it and you know I don't feel any hesitation in telling you that, but you may look at it and maybe for you, it's more of a purple gray, a heather gray. And I'm like, well, no, it's more of a red gray or whatever. And we can have like a, a funny debate about it because it, it does not matter, you know, yeah. because we're confident in expressing ourselves visually, right? Yeah. Like I know that whatever I think I see is fine. Right. But with smell, I think, I mean, this gets back to sort of the, the you know, the oft spoken about quote secrecy of the perfume industry you know there is this sort of degree of remove the that we have from it and maybe this gets back to your first question in this whole chat you know this idea of it not being engaged with enough that we get that level of of olfactory confidence that we have with visual or or auditory or or, you know or touch you know um and, and we just haven't been trained in that way as and also and also in fairness, there's something very difficult about expressing ourselves about scent. It's really, really, really hard, you know, it and is I, really I think hard. it's, I think it's, I think it's biological, you know, it's just, we just cannot speak about scent, you know, very well. But it's also practice a little bit because it's I also try practice, to practice yeah. every day. Like I'm so into just writing down words, any words yeah. about what yeah. I'm smelling. And it's, it's, it's just a daily practice and I'm still trying to get better at it, but I want to continue doing it because to me, it helps me express myself more if I write it down. Not everybody wants to write. They just want to experience it. And that's fine too. But for me, there's something I like about the conscious aspect where you're actually taking time to figure out what it is that you're smelling and putting words to it. So 
I totally, I think <laughs> I, I do too. I love it as well. And, and I do think that there actually is a very precise language of smell, which is the, the chemical language, you know, like if I tell you yeah. methyl cyclopentanolone, you know, mm-hmm. um, or I mean, sorry, I know you don't work with synthetics so much, but oh, no, whatever. I, mean, I used to, I used yeah, to. Okay. There we go. You know what I mean? You know, you know yeah. what I'm talking, or I so you super, it's a very hard thing to verbalize outside of, I don't know. It's sort of a vague, misty, woody, you know, I don't know. You start to get into poetry talk, but if I tell you the ISO is super, and you know what that smells like, and I know what that smells like, that's a very precise method of communication. Yes. So, yes. Um, yeah. You know, Frank, I, I actually sort of, I, I agree with you that the practice is so crucial, I, but because I'm a lazy cow, you know, like <laughs> I haven't done it. And, and then I've taken this sort of contrarian position with myself that like, forget it. I don't want to verbalize smell. I'm just going to be in smell, you know, which right, is very right. difficult for me. Yeah. Um, but maybe there is something nice about the fact that it's so hard to verbalize. I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe it's okay for it to live outside of precise communication. Oh, absolutely. Um, I actually, yeah. that's what I love about it. It's two things at once. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it can be two things. It can be, um, something you just feel and experience and mm-hmm. that's fine. And it can be something that you actually express and verbalize at the same time. So I, yeah, I yeah, love yeah. that it's two, it's two things. <laughs> All hail the loopy, the loopy middle ground, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, uh, I, I'm quoting Jared Lanier. He talks about, um, do you know, Jared Lanier? He's like, a. No, he's like a he's like a '90s, early 2000s sort of um, technology thinker oh. slash writer, and he talks a lot about sort of well, one how we got the internet all wrong, but one of the th- he's really into music, and he talks about music delivery technologies like uh, MIDI and um, I don't know what MP whatever MP3s or whatever. Yeah, and he he bemoans the fact that these sort of um, digital technologies to deliver music cut out all the loopy bits in music. You know, the, oh, yeah. like if you're familiar with. Um, Rhapsody and what is it? Rhapsody and Gershwin, you know, the, the song, it goes. So if you deliver that digitally, you get, but what Jaron Lanier is encouraging is this sort of engagement with the analog where you get those sounds, you know, and I feel like that applies to smell, you know? Okay. Here, I'm going to get, maybe it's controversial, maybe not just spontaneously. When you said that it kind of brought me to this whole synthetic versus natural thing because mm-hmm. you get something i see nature. where you're going with this. you know what i mean yes. like it's just it is what it is <laughs> it's a loopy bit yeah yes and as soon as you make it synthetic you're taking out the good parts you know like you're yeah. just you're yeah. focused and, and there's nothing wrong you know i, I don't poo poo synthetics at all yeah. just, no i know you don't they're just different they're just yeah they're just different i just that is, i just immediately went there kind of like well how um, wonderful that we have room for both you know exactly um, yeah and and sometimes you know i mean i don't know i mean my in my own personal practice which is not in any way public i just do things for myself <laughs> with perfume but you know sometimes like i'm really getting a kick out of the precision of 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 you know uh, you know using yeah. pda you know it's a very precise and, and that can supplement the the imprecision of you know a rose you know a natural rose you know whatever i totally agree I, so yeah, there's yeah. there's there's room for both you know i i couldn't agree more when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, I want to kind of talk about paradigm shifts a little bit. So you recently, you had a wonderful New York Times article that came out, what, a couple weeks ago? So great. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, But one of the things that I think was said in there is your definition of, is it perfumery perfume? It's a conscious combination of aromatics for a predetermined result. That's right. I love that. (laughs) I just love it because it's such a different definition to what people associate with perfumery. And why should we see perfumery as more than just a liquid in a bottle? please tell us. <laughs> okay. Well, so this, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm going to try not to get too insufferable here. So I'm doing a PhD right now, right. About, about the relationship between uh, perfume specifically and power conceptions ah. and expressions of power historically, but mainly the main thing is contemporary, you know, but so part of the process, the, the um, painful process of attempting to write out all this stuff is you start to be like, well, perfume is this and perfume is that and perfume. Blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly you're like, oh my God, what the heck? Do I mean by perfume? (laughs) What does that mean? Define perfume. Yeah. 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 Define power, which, you know, good luck with that. Yeah. I know. I'm defining power as unlimited agency currently, but I'm sure that will change as my uh, PhD advisor people like tear apart. But (laughs) so perfume, you know, so if you look at, uh, you know, I I had to, you know, how do I define perfume? Well, I typically think about it as a liquid in a bottle that you buy at a counter and you you spray, you know, with a nice ad with Linda Evangelista or whatever. But historically, you know, perfume has been expressed, you know, differently, you know, um, I mean, incense or, or whatever, you know, um, you know, in, what was it, Emperor Constantine would have uh, aromatic plants thrown on the, on the path when he was walking, making a procession through the streets of uh, the city that is now Istanbul. So uh-huh. there are these intentional combinations of aromatics for, for, uh, you know, a predetermined result that have happened that are completely outside of the context of modern perfumery, where which is a product, you know, that we buy mostly. Yeah. So that's that's sort of where that came from, and it and it's intentionally inclusive because by that definition, if a florist um, closes their eyes and chooses a you know combination of flowers just based on the smell of the flowers in their in their shop, that technically in my definition, could be perfume because it's about the, the aroma takes precedence over the visual or anything else, you know? I so. totally love that. I, I think it's so great. I mean, even food, right? Yeah, exactly. Like a chef, a chef yeah. who is combining things for smell or aroma, you know, I guess would be the more appropriate word. Yeah, could be considered a perfumer if smell is the primary thing over taste, for instance, of their meal, you know? Yep, yep. So yeah, it, it's it's an inclusive definition, which I, of course, love, you know? And, but it also serves my very selfish purposes for my for my course of study. So, and I'm sure I'm sure that, and I hope actually that that it becomes that people challenge it. You know, it could be that it's the wrong definition, but it's how I do it, how I define it. Yeah. You know what I love about you is that you're always just kind of pushing the edge or challenging things or questioning things. And Oof. I think we no, I think we all need to do that more, right? Instead of just yeah, well, I think that is quo. It may be also a little bit of human nature. <laughs> I mean, are, are humans into squabbling? Isn't that like something we do? Yeah. I don't know. Well, <laughs> look at where we are today, right? Oh my god. <laughs> a little bit of squabbling me... going on. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think there's also an opportunity for us to think about what um, what we should expect from scent and what scent is supposed to be like you just talked about that like we should just if you close your eyes and you put a bouquet together flowers are 
are perfume in themselves, which I think is beautiful. But do you, you know, you're doing a lot of work now also, which I love, and I want people to check out the Institute for Art and Olfaction, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But I want people to just open their minds to new interpretations of scent in general, beyond this elitism and Eurocentric view. Yeah. Nothing yeah, yeah, against yeah. our European friends. Totally. I'm totally. German. You're yeah, <laughs> I'm half British. Yeah, totally. I mean, no, totally. But it, it's not, you know, it's not to take away, it's to add, to give exactly. new perspectives, to give other perspectives. So there's just not one story, you know, one, mm-hmm. I don't know. Point of view. I mean, it's interesting because yeah. this is, so I'm studying this sort of what led to this sort of Eurocentrism in perfumery. Like I'm, I'm doing the historical research right now, doing my best, you know. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, I mean, the reason this is the case that we have this sort of idea that French perfumery is the perfumery, you know, yeah, or whatever, which are, I mean, you know, we're all, it's already getting picked apart so extensively. So I, I almost feel like I'm talking from the perspective of someone in the 80s. But anyway, let's say this 20th century perspective is that um, actually the perfume industry, you know, has been built upon structures set up in in Europe, you know, so it's yeah. just that simple, like it's just industry led to this perception, you know, the yeah. way industry developed or our industry developed. So uh, I think what's really awesome about what's happening in the last, you know, 10, 10 or so years, and, and indeed, this was like one of the main principles purposes of starting the institute was to be like well this is the only perspective obviously you (laughs) know and 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 you know the institute was set up to that end but um in the last what two years i mean it's just the the questioning has exploded and it's awesome you know there's a woman like um Thanais, you know she's uh, sorry they're a perfumer in new york who who just published a book um from a definitively non-european perspective about scent you know called insensorium um, yes. There's the work being done by by Yosh uh, Yosh Han and and her set festival. I mean, there's so many. You know, there's yeah, there's yeah. Sean Shu who just published that incredible book. There's Andrew Kettler who's been studying olfactory racism. Yes. I mean, there's all this, uh, you know, activity and scholarship going on. And and Nuri McBride, of course, I can't ignore. Yes. You know, there's Donna El Masri. There's so many people working on this. So it's it's definitely definitely happening. Um, so that's great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and you're amplifying it, which is I well, think, wonderful. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm just like, I'm just doing my work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's easy to get, I, I get really, I can get really overwhelmed by, by all the, the rhetoric and language. Um, so, so actually I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to uh, turn off my ears and just focus on my work. So. <laughs> But within that, the Institute, I mean, that's personally, you know, the Institute itself is set up to, to definitely amplify because it's, I mean, it's the very core of what the Institute's all about. So it's, it's obvious, you know, let's talk about it. Let's get to the Institute. It's 10 years now, Saskia, the Institute for Art and Olfaction. If you don't know it, you need to get to know it. So I, I will have the link to it. I mean, a lot of people who will be listening will know you already, but there's still plenty of people who I'm excited will get to know you and what a what a beautiful thing you've created and I mean 10 years ago you and I've talked about it you know we we connected about it and Mm -hmm. I was like wow somebody's doing something really cool this this girl Saskia I don't know her but she's in LA I wish she was in San Francisco where I am but uh not far (laughs) I know not far not far but tell everybody what it is and how why how did you decide that you needed to create this 
Um, okay, so the Institute for Art and Olfaction is a nonprofit devoted to experimentation and access in the field of perfume. Mm -hmm. uh, our, I'm giving you my, my official institute voice here. <laughs> <laughs> we operate in three you know, areas of activity, uh, education, which, which is really the fundamental core of access, you know, is you need to understand what the heck a molecule is in order to work with the molecule, you know? Right, right. Um, experimentation, where we collaborate with institutions or artists or, you know, thinkers or whoever to create um, new sort of expressions of, of scent for scent and, and with scent. Yeah. And then the last is, and it sounds a little pompous, but advocacy. So advocating for independent artisan experimental practices vis-a-vis -vis the larger you know world so um making sure to create visibility for for smaller brands i guess or small not even brands smaller practitioners right so that's that's sort of the fundamental core of what we do i mean i started it because i you know as as i probably have made eminently clear i'm sort of allergic to elitism and to exclusion <laughs> it just it just bugs me on a personal level because i you know We've all been the victim of it. We all know how it feels and it's stupid, yeah. you know? So I started the Institute for that reason, but also really selfishly, like really selfishly, you know, I got laid off from my, my job in TV. Um, they rehired me sort of permalance and I was, I just had a lot of insecurity about what I was doing in the world. And yeah. I wanted to get back to my roots as an artist, you know? And so the Institute for me was and remains, you know, a massive public engagement art project to me this is all a big art project you know nice yeah um so so that that's what that's what I get out of it personally is this is a big exercise in whatever whatever the heck I'm trying to do I don't even know anymore but yeah so that's what the institute's about <laughs> and I just it's it's and I think it's so perfect that it's in LA I mean you you when if you go to um Saskia's the website you'll you'll see why you you know why you think LA is such a perfect incubation <laughs> place for the, you know for all that you're doing because it's just I don't know I think it's perfect to have it in LA yeah I mean I, LA's changed you know but at the time 10 years ago it was and before that it was still extremely affordable and and I mean I, I know LA gets a bad rap you know everyone a lot of people don't like LA and, and I understand the the aspects of LA that are yeah traffic sucks okay you know Get over it, you know, like I get Where it. Doesn't it suck? Now? I know if someone says that to me, if someone that you know, and I say this as a barrier girl, but if someone from San Francisco tells me one more time, like, oh, I don't know how you deal with the traffic, I'll be like, all right, get on the 80 across the Bay Bridge exactly. at like three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon and let's talk about traffic. You know, I mean, it's just everyone has traffic, it's whatever, but yeah. but beyond all of that stupid stuff, like, and and this has to do with my father actually, because growing up, my dad was the head of cultural affairs in LA. So he had a big civic job in the arts. And so I was exposed to all this stuff, all this art ah. stuff, you know, cultural expressions that were not decidedly not opera, you know, white wall galleries. They were, they were <laughs> definitely much more uh, culturally um, expensive, let's say, yeah. you know, so, yeah. so, so I had this real core belief that Los Angeles is one of the most amazing cultural places because it's just so weird and unexpected and there's so much going on oh, that yeah. is outside of this Eurocentric conception of what quote, culture is you know so and yeah. it's obvious you know we all know this but nonetheless it bears repeating that when people say there's no I hate LA I'm like well what what lens are you bringing to the city are you judging it compared to you know Paris yeah it's right. a different beast you know like that's not what LA is about. So if you accept it for what it is, there's right. all sorts of weird and amazing things you can do here, including 
you know, the Institute, which I felt fit in right, very, very well, you know? Right, right. And you're in a physical space in Chinatown. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Which, is, which is so great. So you can have people walk in, like you have what, Wednesdays? People can walk in and just you know, COVID's made it so complicated. But yeah, I Wednesdays, <laughs> Wednesdays, Wednesdays, we host our longest running program, which is open sessions, which is a, you know, you have to sign up just because, you know, um, but but you you can sign up and you can come in and you can just have at it, you know, just I mean, with supervision, obviously, we're trying to make sure people <laughs> stay safe, you know, but you can go and, and smell whatever the heck you want at the organ, you know, and it's really illuminating for people. They come into the streets, you know, off the streets saying, oh, well, I really like jasmine perfumes. I'm like, OK. And they spend an hour at the organ and they're like, what is this, you know? Yeah. I don't know. You know, this bizarre thing with this bizarre name, you know, and, and then they learn about more than jasmine perfume, they learn about the potential for smell, you know? Yes. And they can only do that by being exposed to the materials. There's no other way. So we root everything, uh, you know, in terms of our education on, in materiality as much as we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of people do you get in there? Do you get all kinds of people? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all walks we of life. We've had people from like super high-end, like Hollywood celebrities, you know, to, to like really fancy influencer types who never come back because it's definitely not the place for it's We're way too down to earth here, you know? <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, to, to, you know, kids, you know, poets, like graffiti, whatever, you name it. Like, and that's one thing I love about our open sessions, actually, is just, just from a social perspective, you know, for me, selfishly, we get, you know, we used to have about 12 people, but now we have like eight, we have eight people come through the door that are vastly different from one another and mm-hmm. wouldn't generally interact at all, you know, right, right. very rare that they would actually come across each other, let alone spend three hours together smelling and talking. And by the end, everyone's like sniffing each other's arms and people are getting all, well, COVID changed that, but before COVID, you know, people are getting all up (laughs) close and personal and they're sharing their perspectives of things and their stories are, you know, fundamentally human and people just connect. And it's really, really, really cool. I love that. It's democracy in action, really. It's, yeah, it's but but like a good democracy, not like yeah, a yeah. democracy that gave us Trump kind of democracy. No, no. <laughs> um, not capital D, but like small D and just this yeah, whole yeah. the core. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. What we what we mean by that? No, that's great. And do you find like as you do you observe people? I mean, what are some of the the things that you notice about? Uh, is there anything that surprises you about what people kind of experience? Or do they come in with these preconceived notions and then at the end they walk out with like, oh, wow, I should have, you know, I should, I totally have a different perspective on, on what smelling is now or what scents are. You know, um, yeah, that does happen for sure. Uh, occasionally, yeah, it's sometimes I get a little bummed out because people will come in and be like, well, I mean, the thing we hear a lot is, oh, I'm allergic to synthetics. And I'm like, okay, you know. Oh yeah. Well, let's not even go there, you know, but, but yeah. I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. You know, you have, you know, you have, you don't, you've had bad experiences with things that you perceived as being synthetic. And I understand that, you know, we've been mm-hmm. fed a lot of chemicals in the 20th century, 21st century, yes. 20th century yes. and, and it's normal to have that sort of fear, chemophobia, you know? Yeah. Um, what, 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 what is cool is when that's sort of people transcend that and they understand what quote synthetics are, what chemicals are, you know, yeah, because people don't seem to understand that chemicals are in. I mean, everything is chemical. You know what I mean? It's not synthetic, natural. Chemicals are everywhere. You know. So yeah, what I get bummed out about, and what happens sometimes, is when those preconceived notions are not, we're, we're not able to help them understand the, you know, the the fact that it's not. I don't know. People people really like their narratives. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's hard to convince them otherwise. Yeah. It's hard, (laughs) even with science knowledge based, you know, real truth or whatever. And another one, another way that manifests sometimes is gender, although that's changing, but you know, you'll get, you'll get uh, typically young men coming in and, and they're examining who they are. They're at a phase of their lives, you know, yeah. Uh, young cis men who want to make sure by, uh, you know, by, by hook or by crook that they come off as very masculine, you know, <laughs> and it's hard to, it's hard to circumvent that because it has to do with self-perception, cultural perception. There's so much, you know, yeah, so, yeah. so much to unpack of, there. <laughs> yeah. And we just don't have the time, you know, no. <laughs> so we're like, cool, you know, here's some dihydromersinol, have fun. <laughs> anyway. Um, but, but it's fun. I mean, people, people are amazing. People never cease to amaze me. Their stories and people at the core are just fundamentally good. You know, yeah, that's one thing yeah. I believe is just even people you totally disagree with on every aspect at the core, they're just people trying to get their way through this world. And yeah, the open sessions kind of highlight that I just, at the core, everyone is just normal human person, you know, just trying to get through. So I yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I, really I mean, like that. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I think also what's nice is that you, the one thing COVID has given us is the online space. So we can experience the IAO with being far yeah. away, which has yeah. been, I know it's not perfect because the best thing in the world is to be in person and to be smelling together. But it's it's, I think it's another great way for all of us to connect globally. Yeah, yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, we've always been a, glo- we've always had, I mean, I've always had a global outlook with the Institute. We've done programs all over the world, you know, um, yeah. but, but I don't think we were ever truly, truly global until, until the pandemic hit and we had to go online, which by the way, I was totally not excited about it. I was like, this is yeah. lame. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> but now I love it. You know, I think online, I mean, I'm taking classes myself in my own life online. You know, I've been taking Arabic classes for years now yeah. over zoom. You know, I've never, I actually met her finally in person once my teacher, but oh, that's you know, I know, I know Ustada Gay is a box on the screen and it works for me. I'm learning, you know, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I always ask my guests a few questions at the end um, mm-hmm. to get to know you a little bit better. And I did send those to you. I don't know if you had a chance to look at them or not, but um, I'm just curious, what's your favorite smell right now? It doesn't have to be forever and always, but just right now, what do you enjoy smelling? Right at this, this week, I'm, I'm, I'm returning back to an older perfume uh, that I, that I had. I have this, this cabinet of perfumes at home, you know, my, uh-huh. my personal faves or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And there's one called Green Water by um by uh Jacques Fat, which is a, a brand in in Paris run mm-hmm. by Rania Naim and a wonderful woman. Anyway, so Green Water was made by Cécile Zarokian. It's a recreation of a historic perfume made Ooh. by the Jacques Fat house in the 50s. And I'm just I'm wearing it this week and I'm loving it. It's I'm really really enjoying it. Nice, nice. Love that. Yeah. Um, Ben, I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite scent memory that you can share? I mean, you know, like everybody, I have the the green grass and the summer memory. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the childhood memories. Oh my gosh. Um, I think I think maybe an interesting scent memory is uh, is actually associated with my mom, but not in the way maybe uh, one might expect. So my mom was not a big perfume wearer, you know, she was sort of tough, uh, but yeah. is tough, I should say. But I think in some moment of, I don't know what, she bought a uh, Rive Gauche by Yves Saint Laurent, you oh, know, yeah. this perfume. Yes, yes. 
And I remember one night uh, she was going to the opera with my stepfather, Ralph, uh, and she had sprayed herself down with this perfume. And I must've been like six or seven. And I just remember smelling it and thinking, whoa, you know, this is what womanhood (laughs) is meant to smell like. And it feels weird. You know, it doesn't smell like what I think I want to be, you know, and it's not to do that. Not to say that. I I mean, I identify as a woman, like I, I have no gender dysmorphia or anything like that. But, but I just, I just felt like it was a really weird and narrow thing. And, and it was something that my mom put on almost like a costume. And I thought it was weird. It was weird. You yeah. Know? Like you put on a, a, a scarf. You. Yeah. And she, she had this like perfume. black velvet dress with like poofy 80 sleeves with little <laughs> rhinestones in them. And, and I was like, what the hell, what happened to my mother? Right. <laughs> it was really weird. So it was sort of more of a, a sense of disassociation from, from the smells of perfume, you know? Interesting. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, what would you say are five smells that best describe you? Oh, geez. Okay. Well, I hate to say it, but cigarettes, you know, cause I smoke Okay. Um, and I love it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> coffee breath, probably uh, coffee. <laughs> Let's say coffee breath. To yeah. be honest. Um, metaphorically, maybe like sawdust. Cause I'm always tinkering with stuff. I'm making things or trying oh. to, I mean, you know, metaphorically, cause most yeah, of what yeah, I'm yeah. making is digital, but I like the idea of sort of things in process. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, all my friends who make me smells, they always give me a ton of ambroxan or, you know, synthetic ambergris smells. So oh, yeah, yeah. I guess that's something that they see d- defines me somehow, maybe because it goes well with cigarettes. I don't know. <laughs> and then the fifth, Lordy, I don't know. Um, I think that's the four. I'm going to say the four. I know. I'm trying to think if I would find something for you that would describe you. I kind of like, I mean, you have to describe you, but I kind of like cardamom in you. Yes. <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> it does actually. Yes, it does. Okay, and here's why, because I love I love things like spices and trade and travel and yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's like a Libra. Someone told me it was a Libra thing, but they said oh, Libras are really into these sort of you know, small aesthetics. You know, the tiny aesthetics. And to me, cardamom is the tiniest and most aesthetic of the spices. You know, it's so beautiful and evocative. It's and it so smells gorgeous. weird. It smells complicated and beautiful. You know, so yeah, you know that what? makes it's, a it's lot of sense. I'll accept cardamom. I have to thank you. I thought of you because also it's very warm and like, yeah, it's got, it's got stuff going on, but it's not obnoxious. Yeah. But it's got a rough edge, man. Yes. (laughs) Which I do. It's it's complex. Like you said, it's got a little bit of a lot of stuff going on. Uh, This, this appeals to my conception of myself. Thank you. Oh, good. Well, then see, there you go. I'm reflecting you. Let's top it um, off with cardamom. Very good. As long as you good. hadn't said like vanilla, I'd be like, oh, no, geez. No, no, no. no, no. I, yeah. You are not vanilla. <laughs> no, 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 no. Although, you know, let's not discount vanilla is beautiful. I love vanilla, but yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not just saying just vanilla. People just say that's generic vanilla. And yeah. I don't mean it that way. No, I know well, you don't. It's actually the most loved scent around the world. It is, right? Isn't it the number one? Yeah. I think it's the number one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, funny fact about that. When I was a kid, I, I read in an L magazine that men, you know, men love the smell of vanilla. And I was, I think I was like 13 and just trying to figure out if boys liked me, you know, and I, I remember going up to my mom's uh, spice cabinet and taking the vanilla extract and like dabbing it all over my neck, you know, it's like a, a seduction tool for my 13 year old Zitty boys in my class. I don't think it worked. <laughs> yeah, so that's vanilla. 
Oh, so great. Well, Saskia, thank you so much for joining me. I could talk to you for hours and I hope we can do this again one day. Um, And likewise, Raka, I'd like to have you on my podcast, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. Good, good. That would be fun. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.